you have your scripture journals or your Bibles or your apps, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, please. While you're doing that, I'll just remind you what Justin said. Next week, we'll have a special Mother's Day service, and Scott Siegel will lead that, followed by our the following Sunday, will be on May 15th, will be our senior graduation Sunday, and Justin will be leading that one. And then on the 22nd, we will launch our summer series. Our interns will be in place then, and we've been blessed with another great set of interns. Brandon Reynolds is the young man that will be accompanying me in the preaching internship. And the series that we're launching is, I'm titling it, Called. And we're going to explore the ways that God has placed a call on my life and on yours. And you may sit there today and think, I'm not sure God even knows my name. I want you to be here or be online as many Sundays as you can during this series because I think you're going to find it, one, challenging, and two, encouraging. Because we believe that Scripture teaches us that each one of us, there is a call by God on our lives. And for most of us, we're not living into that call. And so how do you become aware of it? And we're going to look at some examples inside of Scripture and we're going to story. So each Sunday for at least the first half of the summer, we're going to be in a series called. And so I want to challenge you and invite you to be a part of that. And if there's somebody that you know that you think will be blessed by that, encourage them to be here with us. Okay, we are wrapping up another series today, our series of Beginner's Guide to Church, where we've been in this letter that's known as the First Corinthians. It's one of two letters that we have that Paul writes to this church in Corinth. We understand that he wrote more, but the two that God wants to have in our Bibles is 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we've been taking a very intentional, slow walk through this letter. Because what we've been saying is that just like this was a new church and had all kinds of pressures around it, we want to be faithful even with the pressures that our culture presents to us. And we started with a very particular thesis with this. And here's my thesis that when we started this entire series is this. I believe the 21st century dynamics greater resemble the 1st century dynamics more than any century in between. Simply what I'm saying is the cultural dynamics that we live in right now in this 21st century has more to do with the first century and what it would have been like in Corinth in any in-between time. We live in a very multicultural society. We live in a society that has all kinds of divisions in it. We live in a society that wants to attest to what I would call a hyper-spirituality, even though that's really ill-defined in our world. I've, I've said before that Paul... It gives a very famous sermon. You may not be familiar with it, but that's okay. He gives a very famous sermon in Acts where he gets up and he's gone around the Athens and he's looked and he's seen all the different idols to places. And then he finds an idol to what's what the inscription says to an unknown God. And basically the idea was they thought they'd covered every base, but just in case they'd left one out, they created this other idol and said, you know, God, you get to fill in your name here because in case we missed you. 
And he starts there, and what he says is, when he gets up, he uses that as an illustration point. He gets up and he begins his sermon, and he says, I see that you are spiritual, that you're religious in every way. You even have an idol to an unknown God. I think you could give that same talk today. I see you're spiritual in all kinds of ways. But there's a God that you don't know anything about. And I think that would apply today. You look at this and Rome is a major power. And there's all this spreading across the world. And I just think the dynamics are so similar that this book, this Beginner's Guide to Church, this letter that we're looking at, has so much for us. And we've been walking through that. And so today I want to bring that to a close. But understand, my idea is not so that we'll take our, spiritual, our scripture journals and we fill out the last couple of pages and then we close the book and we set it on the shelf and feel somehow good about that. Okay? Now, I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but now that we're at the end of it, God's not going to ask to see your scripture journal when you get to heaven. Okay? Some of you, I know, we're hoping for the extra credit to get through. This is teaching that Paul wanted to come alive in that church. And remember, that church was about maybe 30 or 40 people tops. In a big international city, two ports, one on each side, where people from all around the world were coming and people were going all around the world. And Rome was in power And they are the minority. There was no sense of, do we have a moral majority? Can we get the vote to go our way? Can we elect some more officials that are going to have some Christian principles? There was none of that. It was a small group of people. And Paul has the audacity to say, if you will live as God's people, your impact on the community and the culture will be immeasurable. That's what he's wanting from this. And he looks at a group of 10% of the size that we are. And so my goal is not, as we went through this, is not that you could fill out a scripture journal. And I love these things, so I'm not knocking them. But it's not so that you could fill it out and set it on the shelf and move on to the next lesson. It's so that God would do something in us that unleashes us to make a dent in the culture where we are in this time, in this place. We're not the first century, we're the 21st century. And will we allow what Paul is calling us to, to be the church in the time and place? And even though it may look like it's big and it's scary out there, Paul told this group where the odds were stacked far more against them. And he said, you're the body of Christ. Now live like it. And so... He closes out in chapter 16. And if you want to know the real highlight of the letter, it comes in 15. It's what we looked at on Easter. He talks about the resurrection. And so now he goes from really preaching his theology to some concluding remarks. And as I read through these first remarks, I guarantee your first thought is going to be, what do we do with that? Because it it sounds like he's just sort of summing it up and say hi to so-and-so and and here's some of my plans and don't forget about this. But let me walk you through this because I think there's a powerful message here for us. So, chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verse 5 of 16. 
Here's Paul. I will visit you. Now remember, he's writing back to the church. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps, now be very aware of the language that he uses, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective works is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, so that, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Now, one reading of this, it's really kind of bland, isn't it? What Paul is addressing here, and he's about to give us what I'm going to call sort of the cornerstone, his final charge of the book. But he's going through this list, and if you'll notice, there's lots of ifs and maybe and perhaps. What Paul is doing is he is sharing an uncertainty about the future. And it is an uncertainty that even though he is walking with God, he is in the sweet spot of where God would have him. If anybody's in that spot, it's Paul. And yet there's all this uncertainty about the future. And so I want to talk about that this morning as we wrap this up, because this is going to be kind of our marching orders going forward. But I want to talk about what lessons we have to learn when the unexpected challenges come the unexpected challenge that come from walking with God and so if you're here today and maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and somehow you think because maybe you heard a preacher that said this to you or somebody that you love said this to you that once you follow Jesus everything in your life suddenly gets nice suddenly gets comfortable suddenly gets easy, I have some bad news. You've been sold or told a false gospel. It's often referred to as a health and wealth gospel. If you need more health or you need more wealth, talk to Jesus and he delivers. He's like Amazon, okay? The struggle with that is it may seem appealing to us that live in America but it cannot be preached around the world. It makes no sense in countries and in cultures that are marked with unbelievable poverty. Where it's at your doorstep if you even have a door. So any gospel that cannot be preached around the world is no gospel at all. Well, that sounds kind of dark and gloomy. But the reality is that what Jesus has with the good news is so much better, but he also has some instructions that your life here is not going to ever be perfect. You will always have in you a longing for a reconnection with God, and that is what heaven is. There, there will be perfect. And so there's always going to be a hunger in us for us. 
So even though you walk with God, there's going to be some unexpected challenges. And I want to walk you through some of the ones that he talks about in the passage we just read. The first one, back to verse 5. I will visit with you after passing through Macedonia, for intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps... I will stay with you or even spend the winter. What Paul is doing is he's just laying out some plans, but he says at the end of it, if the Lord permits. So he acknowledges, even though he's a planner, there's a certain level of uncertainty in the future. If COVID did anything for us, it introduced us all back to that idea of uncertainty. Some of us already had that baked into our lives. COVID brought it for everybody, right? And suddenly... We couldn't trust any of the things that we thought we could trust before. And it ramped us all up in this uncertainty. And what we thought was planned out, I mean, calendars just started to vaporize, didn't they? Plans and schedules just started to melt before your eyes. And Paul says there's uncertainty in the world. And we're each going to have that unexpected uncertainty as you look and you may be in a season of uncertainty. There may be an area of your life you're not sure what the next couple of months hold, what the next couple of years hold, what the next chapter is going to look at because you're wrapping up one chapter, even unexpectedly. Or you're entering a new one. Either way, there's this uncertainty there. And that's what Paul is counting on and sharing with us. Picking up in verse 8. But I will stay... In Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened for me. So Paul is headed to Ephesus, and he's going to stay there, and he realizes there's this incredible opportunity he's going to have. And he spends some time in Ephesus, he ends up spending three years in Ephesus. And then he says, But he says, and there are many adversaries. Paul experienced some unbelievable challenges, even in this opportunity where he had some of his greatest successes, some of his greatest accomplishments in the same place where he had some unbelievable challenges. And so the next thing is there's opposition. When you walk with God, you will face uncertainty and you will face opposition. And it's powerful opposition at times. There's a story in Acts 19 that tells of Paul in Ephesus, and he's had incredible success in his preaching. And once again, you think he's right in the sweet spot of God, and people are listening. In fact, so many people are coming that they're beginning to walk away from the idols and the gods of the city. And one of us is the god Artemis. And there is a particular silversmith in the city that his trade was to make little trinkets and little idols to Artemis and sell them. Well, when you've got, an, when you've got a god that doesn't need idols made for him, your business goes downhill fast. And so he raises a crowd and a mob and starts to preach against Paul and that. And he gets so many people riled up. And it's funny when you read it at the end of chapter 19 of Acts. It says some of the people were riled up and yelling. They didn't even know why they were there. And they get them all into a theater, all into an amphitheater. And Paul sees it and says, hey, that's a crowd. I'm going to go preach. And his disciples with him says, you're not stepping in there. Because they're going to kill you. And so finally they get one of their, their comrades to go up to the front. And he gets the crowd quieted. And he's just about got them calmed down. And then they realize he's a Jew. And so they begin to chant louder and louder and louder. Artemis 
of, of the Ephesians, Artemis of the Ephesians, and they're just chained. And it's, the scripture says they did that for two hours. That's the opposition that Paul is facing. And yet, he's going to say that we walk with God. The next one picks up, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Timothy was a companion of Paul. In fact, we have two letters in the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. There are Paul's letters to Timothy. Paul is training up Timothy to be a pastor, to be an evangelist. And so he is sending Timothy. He's actually sending Timothy to, to Corinth. And he goes, Timothy's going to be with you. He's going to get there ahead of me. When he gets there, you help him out. You, you work with him. You be patient with him. And apparently Timothy has some real struggle with self-doubt. Because in numerous times in the letter, Paul says, we don't have a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And he says to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but preach boldly. And so there's this whole idea that Timothy is really struggling, and he knows he's going to face power struggles. And Paul has already warned this church because he knows, remember, remember when we started with this book? It was all about divisions and power struggles in them. And he's about to send Timothy into this. And he says, if you want to be the church, you've got to identify these power struggles. And he's going to give us an answer for him in just a second. But understand that one of the big struggles that churches still have today in this world is we get involved in power struggles. And Paul is saying to this church, it says, you could be walking with God, but you've got to be aware of these things. And the last one's this. Verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you and with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Now, I don't know what it's like to get a letter from Paul personally. But if Paul said, Scott, you need to go do this, I'm probably, okay, <laughs> you're in charge, I'm going. But here's Apollos. Paul tells him, go this way. And he urges him. And Paul says, not, I mean, Apollos says, I'm not ready yet. And so there's disagreements. What Paul has let us know is, even when you're in step with the Spirit, you're in step with where God is taking you, there will still be uncertainty. There will still be opposition. There will still be power struggles that take place. And there will be disagreements. That's when you're living in sync with the Spirit. So being in sync with the Spirit, being in the sweet spot that God has you, is not marked by beautiful rainbows and the sun always shining. And some of you are in a struggle right now and you can define it different ways. But there could be a temptation inside that struggle to say, I must not be where God wants me to be. I must not be in God's pleasure right now. I must not be in God's blessed spot right now. And God somehow has abandoned me. You could very well be in the spot that God actually wants you if you're experiencing one of these and perhaps be, 
because you're right there where God wants you is the very reason you're experiencing one of these, this uncertainty, this opposition, this power struggle, this disagreements. Once again, the gospel message is not follow Jesus and God takes every struggle and sharp corner out of your life. And so we cannot judge our lives by how sweet is it right now. How perfect is it? How nice is it? How content is it? How successful am I? How wealthy am I? And how healthy am I? And so Paul's about to give us what I'm going to call just the landing place of the whole book. And what he's going to tell us is going to, is going to revert back all the way to the beginning of the book. But in the midst of walking with God in the unexpected, in the uncertainty, in the opposition, in the struggles, and in the disagreements, he gives us the next two verses. And I want you to look at these with me. And here's where we're going to land and make our points. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, This is one of the few places that I really appreciate the NIV's translation of it because I think it gets more into the concrete of what is trying to be said here. So let me show you in the NIV. NIV says this, Be be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. What the NIV does when the ESV says, act like men, that's what the term means. Obviously, the struggle is in our culture today, that, that gets lost and triggers in all kinds of different ways. But it's, the word means act like men, and it's counting on that whole thing about be the warrior. Be brave and be strong and go into the battle the way that you're supposed to. Go into the battle the way you're called. So be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. And so what I want to do is I want to just show you. I want to put these up here. Here's what Paul is asking us to do. Be on guard. Be alert. Be ready. When you're in a season of unexpected and you're facing some of the things that, that he's already outlined, you got to be watchful. Paul is telling the church and the individuals in the church Don't lose your focus. Keep your eyes open. Be active in the game. Do not be passive. So many of us let our lives go into autopilot and we just become passive in it. The next one goes right along with it. Stand firm in the faith. All this time, throughout the entire letter, what Paul is doing is he's reminding them of the one that they claim to follow. And he keeps giving them Jesus, and he gives them Jesus, and he gives them Jesus, and he gives them Jesus, and it comes all the way to the climax in chapter 15 where it says, we serve one that walked or that was delivered into the grave and walked out on his own. And he keeps reminding them of that, and there's the power in that, and he says, you stand firm in that. And there's all these other voices in the culture There's all these other things that says, no, you need to pursue sexuality. You need to pursue wealth. You need to pursue fame. You need to pursue comfort. You need to pursue and pursue and pursue. And Jesus says, no, you pursue Jesus and you stand firm in that. Next one is be courageous. Again, act like men. He said, act like the best of it. Be, Be the one 
And, and understand, courage, be the one that goes into the battle. So understand that, that courage, and this is where I do like how the two different translations work together. Because, unfortunately, we think that courage is the, the absence of fear. That, that's, not, that's never been the definition of courage. That somehow I'm just not afraid. That's the definition of ignorance. You know, I'm just going to go through this. I'm not going to have any, any sense of, of the danger here. What the definition of courage is, it's the action of moving into the battle. Moving into the dangerous places. Not about whether or not you're afraid or not, but what do you do with that? And do you move into it? And so Paul is saying, as you face all this from pressures from the culture around you, all the pressures of the world around you, all the pressures of society that's saying, this is our value system and you need to get in line with it, you be courageous. You stand firm. And you go into the battle. Next one's just with it. Be strong. Be strong in, in your life. Be strong with the knowledge that you have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a supernatural power at your disposal. It is not for you to live the Christian life all by yourself and by your own will and grit. But be strong in the Lord. And then after those, he reminds us what he spent the entire time in 12 and 13 saying, do all things in love. All of this, you are strong and you're courageous and you do it all in love. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to suggest that that is a great list if you need to know how to live the Christian life. That, that this is what you would want. This is, this is how you can frame out your world, especially if you're brand new into Christianity, that this is a marching list for you. These are marching orders for you. This is, this is what I would want my kids to take with them every single time they leave the house. That whatever situation they're going to go into and whatever temptation they're going to face, whatever challenge it's going to be, that they're going to be on guard. They're going to realize that there's a war going on for their soul and for their heart. And that we have a real enemy out there, Satan. Be on guard about that. I want them to stand firm in their faith. I want them to be courageous in a world that's trying to break them and tell them to sit down and be quiet. I want to be strong in that world. And I want them to do all things in love. This would be a good list for your marriage. In your marriage, not what you want the other person to be, but what you're willing to be. On guard, standing firm, courageous, strong, and doing all of that in love. This is the kind of employees you'd want to hire. Do you see how powerful this drives down? And what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, what I believe Paul is saying to us today as a church, when we face the pressures in this world, in this day, and the church is losing lots of momentum in our world today, 
And it's under attack, and I believe in a, not a brand new way, but a very old way, all the way back to the first century, that we would be a church that's on guard, standing firm in the faith, courageous and strong, and above all, doing everything that we do in love. So I want to leave you with three questions that I want you to reflect on. I want you to write these down or pull out your phone and take a, take a picture of the screen as they pop up. But I want to challenge you, because again, I don't want you to simply to close the Scripture journal, put it on the, on the shelf, and say, that was nice, I've completed that. But I want us to really take what we've been learning in, about how to be part of the body, how to love one another, how to live out the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of these lessons that have come to us. I'm going to give you three questions I want you to reflect on that will help you understand, am I being on guard, standing firm, strong, courageous, and doing all things in love? And here's, here's the three questions. Number one is this. How are you connected to the body? How are you connected to the body? Did you notice the very first two things it said? Um, be on guard, stand firm. That is military language. Be at your post, be in position, be in place, and stand firm. And understand, when they fought their battles, they lined up, the Roman legions would line up, and they call it the phalanx. And they all had their spears, and they had their swords, I mean, the, their shields, and they would march forward in unison. And if the whole crowd didn't go in unison, the whole line didn't go in unison together, it fell apart. But when they did, it was an unbelievable force. And so Paul says in chapter 12 and 13, be connected to the body. There inside the body. How are you connected to this body right here? How, what ministry? Which way are you, where are you serving that is moving you outside of your comfort zone? That you think, this is a task bigger than I am. Bigger than my limited skill set. Where are you uncomfortable? And that's going to look different things for different people. But I would challenge you that if there's nowhere that you're involved that you think requires strength and courage, you're way too much in your comfort zone right now. And God's calling you out of that. We believe that disciples are people that live in Christ with one another on a mission. And it may be serving some here, somewhere inside this church. It may be serving somewhere outside in the community. It may be somewhere inside your own family. Wherever it is, what are you involved in right now that requires your strength and your courage? And you are asking God to supply that because you need something that you don't have. Therein lies the unexpected and the opposition and the uncertainty. Number three is this. What does love require of you right now? What does love require of you? Not, what do you need to feel loved? But what does love require of you? If you were going to put this teaching into practice 100% and go all in, what's love require of you? I would challenge you this week, spend some time in a quiet time, in prayer, with your journal, however that works for you, reflecting on these three questions. And then begin to place them into your life where you're on guard. You're no longer passive in your faith. You're standing firm. You're courageous and you're strong. 
And then love becomes the marker and the identifier for you because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And then Paul would say to us, to all the saints that gather in the name of Jesus Christ at the Western Hills Church, praise be to God for you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words and this teaching would not simply be notes on a page, slides on a screen, but that you would go deep into each of us and you would let them become reality and you'd make them alive here, that we would be like the church in Corinth. We would be the body of Christ in this place, in this time. Father, may these words change us. May this teaching shape us. So, Father, I pray for each person sitting here, for each person online that's participating in this message, that you would empower us to be on guard, that you would help us to stand firm, that you would give us strength and courage and you'd help us do all things in love, Father. That all the glory would go back to you. For I ask in the one that died and went to the tomb and walked again. The one that did all things in love. It's in his name we pray. Amen.